What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. If you're liking the podcast, all we ask is you hit that little subscribe button, leave us a nice five-star review so we can continue growing the show and supporting our amazing guests. My name is Brett Gowen. I'm the founder of Hammer, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Pinella. Thank you guys for joining us for another episode. It's Matt Pinella, also known as Matt Bangs Wood. Luckily, it's warm out. Bring a towel because today we're talking about pools. I love that intro. Justin, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. So today we got a cool guest on who's the owner of J-Max Plumbing that specializes in pool plumbing. Um, We're going to be touching on a few things today. We're going to be touching on, obviously, his background, specializing in pool building, uh, instilling standards in the business with your people. And kind of the struggle of working in and out of the field. And ultimately, we'll even touch on, you know, how to evolve the strategy of the business. So, Justin, we're really excited to jump in with you today. We don't typically, you know, hear of people specializing in pool building. And it sounds like you guys are running a healthy crew. And, um, you know, I I remember I, I called you a couple months back when we were discussing some of this stuff. And I was just fascinated with one of these monster projects that you're <laughs> building. And we can probably touch on that in a little bit. But um, I, I would err on the side of like this project is absolutely absurd in a really good way. So yeah. I'm excited for you to dig into that as well. And, uh, you know, if, if you guys get a chance, definitely go check out their Instagram page and you'll be uh, uh, pretty mind blown as well. Yeah, it's uh, sweet. Uh, Justin, first off, uh, you know, obviously I, I just mentioned it, but I, I'm very familiar with just plumbing in general. I come from a uh, residential uh, construction family, but I, I'm really curious, like what what made you decide on like pool plumbing? Like sure. how'd you get started in the field? Like, like give us the rundown on your background of how you got to that point. Yeah, well, it was never part of the plan. That's for sure. I uh, hmm. I grew up in the home building industry too. My father was a home builder and, um, where I grew up, it was really rural. So, um, they would actually let us out. Once you got to 11th grade, they would let you out on a half day so you could go work. So I grew up in working on job sites, picking up nails or whatever. And then in high school, I would leave at 11 o'clock and go work on, um, he, he built homes like custom homes. So we did everything. We did trim carpentry. We worked on the framing crew. We did all the staining and painting, mm. pretty much all that stuff. So that was my original background growing up was homes. Never thought about pool plumbing. Didn't know it existed just like everybody else. Um, when I got out of high school, um, I decided to move to Arizona. My father was working for a big national home builder at that time. He got relocated to Scottsdale, Arizona. I had come out here and checked it out. The girls were amazing. The place was amazing. I mean, it was just <laughs> a huge contrast to where I was from. Checked every box, just all the yeah. amenities. Yeah, starting with the girl box. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I left behind like my high school sweetheart. Came out here. Um, just went to community college just to um, get the groundwork done for. They had the Dell Webb School of Construction at ASU in Arizona, mm. which was like where you wanted to go if you wanted to do construction management. And, um, yeah, just started, uh, going to community college. I always sucked at school. I mean, I, I knew the stuff. I just hated the homework. I hated doing the work. So, um, I started, I met a guy, Jason Lohoff at community college here and he cleaned swimming pools. 
So that was my first oh, okay. experience. Yeah, that was my first experience with swimming pools was just cleaning them. So I would do that after college with him or after classes. And um, just through knowing him, got my feet wet in the pool industry. Geographically speaking, to do what I do, you can only do it in like three places in, in the United States. It's basically like California, here, a little bit in Texas, but Florida. Yeah, so, I was going to say. Yep. Yeah, because it's got to be nice year round. Mm -hmm. So meeting him, cleaning the pools. I ended up seeing some pools under construction and like a light bulb went off. It was like, mm -hmm. I know I want to own my own business. This is a big industry in Arizona. Let me dig into it. And then I, I exploited some connections that my father had in the, in the home building industry connected to a pool builder. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started my journey. Literally just cold called a pool builder and was like, Hey, who's doing your plumbing? I don't, it was, um, there was a job site I saw where guys were doing the plumbing and that was like, I don't know. For some reason, that was the light bulb. Like that looks like something I can do. Let's do it. Yeah, kind of crazy. I mean, you, let's backtrack a bit. Wait, so you were fresh out of high school? Yeah. You go to Arizona. You start cleaning pools. How long did all that last? Um. So let's see. I got here in '98. I started as a pool plumber in 2000. So for two years, I was doing mm -hmm. cleaning pools. I also had a job just working at like a retail store. So it was kind of like, you know, I was going to school, but also doing the, the stuff on the side, just trying to get my feet down. So in, in 2000, did you go out on your own or did you, mm -hmm. you said you cold called contractors. Did you find somebody to work for? Yes. In 2000, mm -hmm. I reached out to a pool builder and he connected me with their subcontractor who was the pool plumber. And I, okay. worked, I started working for him at the very bottom. Did you have experience in plumbing from your father being into home building or was it no, not at all. So I had a lot of experience with carpentry, woodworking, stuff like that, but nothing with plumbing. We knew the plumbers, but I had never done any plumbing um, back in the field when I was in Maryland. Oh, wow. So yeah. you got in at, at ground zero and had to work your way up. Yeah, I knew nothing about glue, nothing about pipe. Nothing. <laughs> How, how'd that go? You were you were young. I mean, yeah, I was 18 when I got here, 20 when I started. So um, yeah, I mean, just you, I learned by doing it. I had a a good teacher. He was a Marine. So, um, he was very yeah. like best dis... person to learn from. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Um, it had good parts and bad parts, but yeah, it, sure. it, it <laughs> just learned and, and I loved it. It was awesome. It was like, um, when you're building all the plumbing systems, I have like a mild case of OCD, I guess, undiagnosed. So it was That's like, probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah. It's a good thing for this, this, this niche. <laughs> yeah. So I got to like, you know, build out these crazy plumbing systems and it was awesome. Just kind of stuck. So how, how long were you with them? So I was with him from 2000 to 2010. 2010 is when I went out on my own. So 10 years. Mm. Okay. Okay. What yeah. what was that experience like? Like, I mean, I'm sure you learned a lot through that whole decade. And yeah, I mean, I, I want to hear about that part. But then also, I mean, starting your business. Well, if, if you're early, it can be a good time with like an economic downturn. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of chaos going or maybe you found some white space. I, I'm curious what that was like for you. Yeah. So it started, you know, my, I was just on the prize early on about having money. You know, I, I liked material things. I liked cars. Mm -hmm. So when I first started working, I was like, okay, these guys are making this much money as crew leaders. Cause you start as a helper and it's peace yeah. rates. So, you, yeah. you know, so my, eye was just on like, how can I make the most money? So I need to learn stuff in order to get to the next place. So for the first five years, I just killed myself in the field, learning everything, trying to get to where I wanted to be. And then at the fifth year, I had progressed much faster than any other guy uh, that had been at his company. And I think he saw that and we reached a point where he's like, Hey, he didn't really have like a management structure. Um, I was the first person that he approached to come in and kind of be like a general manager. 
at first it was more like, you know, I was doing the scheduling and the, like kind of the liaison between the crews mm-hmm. and the owner. And then it ended up over the course of the five years that I was in his office, I um, basically ran his company um, for him. So I put in a lot of processes. He wasn't very sophisticated, like in terms of electronic processes and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I built systems for him and processes. And um, yeah, so for five years, ran his office, which for me, I got five years in the field hardcore and then five years in the office hardcore. So when I started my business, I had a lot of the tools I needed. I learned on someone else's dime how to do it. And just touch on this. How large was that company that you were working for? They're the largest pool plumber in the nation. Okay. Um, probably probably the world. Yeah, probably the world because, you know, this is one of the only markets. He has um, a division in Texas and Arizona. Um, yeah. We were, we were running, um, let's see, we were doing 4,000 new starts a year. So to contrast... Yeah, to contrast, like, so my company J Max does about eleven hundred new starts, and he was doing mm, four thousand. So, how, how long did the well? <laughs> I got this perception of this monster job that you guys are doing, so it could be a little bit skewed. But uh, you know, eleven hundred, thousand plus a year. Like, how, how long do these yeah. pool jobs typically take? What's the duration? Yeah, I mean, um, most of everything you see on our Instagram is the big stuff, but there's a ton of production ah, stuff see. too. There's a ton of yeah, there's a ton of people okay. moving here. That stuff just doesn't get highlighted on the Instagram. So one thing that I wanted so. to ask is <clears throat> when you were working for the the big pool builder plumber, um, you mentioned divisions, and then you also mentioned building out some of the processes for the back office and everything. Did it feel mm-hmm. like when you were working within that division, it felt like a uh, small, lean business, or did it feel like there was a lot of bureaucracy and a lot of hoops to jump through? Because Kind of what I'm trying to tee up is maybe a, a discussion around like, you know, your experience of working with a bigger type of contractor that, you know, you're a lot more specialized. There's a lot more hoops to jump through and there's just more like structure and everything. But I'm curious because you mm-hmm. talked about like building out processes. Usually you kind of see that in the smaller businesses where everybody's a generalist and that guy comes right. in, works with the owner and they're like, Oh, you're the tech savvy guy. Or, you know, processes like let's implement. So I'm kind of curious to see like, like what was that experience for you uh, internally? So I say he's the biggest business, but it wasn't because he had things in place. He was just, he wasn't doing no offense to him, but he wasn't doing anything at all to like make things better. So he was a, a huge business, but it wasn't because he had a bunch of things in place mm. and he wasn't a sophisticated uh, person in terms of like technology or anything like that. So I guess- So he was probably um, still operating. Was he operating in the field at all much? Was there some interaction No, there? he wasn't. Oh, okay. But like, here's here's an example. So all of the scheduling was pieces of paper and handwritten. <laughs> like that's how he tracks like his scheduling. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, scary. <laughs> yeah, when I, yeah, when I got there, we built. I started in Excel. I was like, all right, well, let's at least get this all into Excel, and where we can like share the Excel workshop worksheets. And yeah, that was like the start of it. Yeah, you so already it, saw it was 10x raw. improvement there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just Microsoft Word was a huge improvement. <laughs> Hell yeah, baby! Shout out Microsoft. <laughs> yeah, so you, you've mentioned that you got some valuable learning during that experience. I mean, you guys obviously went through the 08 crash. Um, share a few of those lessons. Like the, the best part is, is you're saying that you were on somebody else's dime. You were able to make a couple of mistakes yeah. here and there. What did yeah. that look like? And how have you used that to benefit your own business now? Well, I think cutting my teeth on dealing with customers, because 
you know, you learn how to not push people's buttons or you learn like the whole spectrum of customers. And I got to learn that on his dime where if there was some back then there wasn't a bunch of Yelp and all that stuff. So people yeah. weren't out there reporting, but you know, I got to upset customers while I was working for him and then learn from that and go, okay, don't, don't do that again. Cause that is, you know, something that upsets customers learn, learn to do that. You know, it's, it's always a, a balance dealing with customers for us on giving them what they want and have paid for. And also, you know, doing what, you know, you're contracted to do or whatever. Yeah. So that was one example is like learning how to deal with customers. I think also the complexity of the jobs, you know, when I, when I went in, he didn't have a focus on like the hydraulics, our business, um, it can be uh, pretty detailed or, you know, the amount of work that has to go into calculating stuff. And he wasn't any of those things. So I got mm -hmm. to hone my skills in there on him. And I definitely made mistakes. Mm -hmm. Learn. I mean, I can think of a couple that were like crazy deal, working with engineers who were like, hey, can you do this? And then kind of like figuring it out and mistakes were made for sure. You, so. I'm, I'm curious because I know that I do. Um, you have any of those projects where you know of like a certain thing on it where it's like this could have been yeah. better? I, I hate that. Yeah. I, I have multiples. Yeah. You as well? I, I had a guy, a friend on of mine, he's in California, he's a pool plumber. And we were just talking through Instagram last week. And he's like, dude, when I came up, I got some mistakes and I'm embarrassed about because I had posted something really bad, like somebody else's work. Yeah. And I was like, dude, there's a there's a couple of jobs I remember that if I could remember the address, I would go drop them a note and be like, let me fix this shit because <laughs> before I knew what I was doing. That's You're all part man. of growing. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely. Um. So Justin, I, I I wanted to kind of dig into this a little bit, but you mentioned starting your business in uh, 2010. How was mm -hmm. it going into business right after this recession hit? I mean, this is one of the worst economic times that we've ever seen. I remember yeah. the days where, you know, there's a lot of my family friends that were operating in the industry were no longer operating in the industry. The big trucks went away and everything. So yep. what was that like for you? It was crazy. I thought it would be easier than it was. I think, you know, the, the whole reason that I split in 2010 was because his company was experiencing huge downturn and, and it felt like I was the most expensive person on his payroll, of course. So it just felt mm -hmm. like my job was in jeopardy. Um, you know, I had taken a couple pay cuts and I was like, well, let me alleviate him of some burden. And then let me also go out and give it a shot. And I thought it would be easier than it was. It was a lot harder than I thought because the, the relationships that I'd forged working with people in his business, those people were loyal to him more so than they were me. And that was a shock to me. I thought, I thought I would carry on those relationships. So right, right away, I hit the ground running going, all right, I'm going to have to work for this a little bit more than I thought. So it was tough. You know, it was like working for wages, you know, it wasn't about big profits to support a company. It was like making sure you had a check that week. So it was tough. I mean, you, you had 10 plus, 10-ish years before you went out on your own. I mm -hmm. imagine that there was a lot of skills that you gained. And maybe, you know, if you didn't yeah. have that, you might have been a dead fish pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, what what were some of like Arizona, the most... It's yeah, exactly. out there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. What, were, what were some of those key learnings? Because, I mean, you're here now, so you survived. Yeah. But yeah. what were some of those key skill sets that really helped you? I mean, I get it. You know, living for the wages and putting food on the table, but... There were yeah. some skills that you had built, maybe relationships, maybe just processes. Yeah. Um, but what were those few things that you felt like kind of gave you the edge when you started? You know, it's funny there. 
everything that I learned with him, none of it applied to like the things that I had to do when I went out. It's crazy. It was like, it was like everything I learned, you know, having the, the reins on his company, we got a ton of respect. We had all the supplier respect you had because he was so big doing millions and millions a year. And then here I am all of a sudden this little fish. So I wish I could say that there were skills that I learned there that carried over that helped, but it was literally like trial by fire. I mean, mm -hmm. um, when I reached out, I remember when I left, I had a gentleman's agreement with him. I'm not going to go after your customers, but there were a couple that I had brought to his company. So I was like, these are fair game. And I hit those guys up and they were like, sorry, you know, we're, we, they wanted to see whether I was going to succeed or not is what I think happened. Cause I later developed mm -hmm. relationships with them. So, um, it was trial by fire. There were no skills that I brought from his company that applied to learning how to do it because it was so different. His company had the in everywhere. He didn't have to work for leads really because he was so big and he was one of the originators of the industry. So um, it was trial by fire, 100%. And it was just me. I remember uh, just kind of focusing on like, okay, I can't really control where the work's coming from right now, but here's what I can do is I can control everything I do, do it right. And then mm. hope I get traction. And that was kind of like my mantra. <laughs> be, be the best that you absolutely can and hope that that takes you. Yeah. yeah so if, almost, if anything, you saw that what he had built was basically bulletproof and what got him everything. Yeah. So it was the one facet too. I knew I could be better than him, him in because he wasn't interested he was interested in the trade, but not like I was like, I was dedicated to the trade, doing it mm, awesome, yeah. doing it the best. He was interested in, in the cash flow more so. so than mm, the, what, what did that first project look like? How'd you end up getting work in the beginning? So I, I used a relationship that I had brought to his uh, company and it was a relationship that had a connection to my family. And that was the first project I got. They gave me basically the first pool um, that I ever plumbed. So were you doing this work solo at the time or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. When I went out on my own, it was just me. Um, short, not for many weeks, but I'd say three weeks in, I got a helper and then, yeah, it started off. I went from, you know, the bottom of the road all the way up to running his company and then went right back to the bottom of the road. I was the, mm -hmm. the labor and the, the plumber. Holy so shit. I, I'm always curious to ask, like, um, it's not really the the ideas that are valuable. It's the execution. You're very familiar with that, Justin. Sure. But I'm always kind of curious to ask, especially entrepreneurs and business owners, because they've gotten past the uh, paralysis by analysis. <laughs> like when you started out, did you just feel like you were ready, or you're just like, I fucking have to make this happen? <laughs> yeah, it was a good mix of like excitement and anxiety. Um, yeah. I mean, every time I got another job or somebody handed me a, a project to work on, I was really excited, but there was some mm -hmm. anxiety there for sure. More good than bad. More good yeah. than bad. I mean, so, sometimes there's there's a beauty in kind of being naive about things as well, because if you know everything and then you're always trying to like dodge this bullet or like not make a mistake, God, sometimes it's miserable. Sometimes you just like need to not know everything in order to go from A to B. That's right. That's ignorance is bliss sometimes. And <laughs> the beginning with all this cash flow can be a, a really tough thing. And I, I love hearing success stories like this about starting out at a crazy time. But um, could you tell us about your approach to staying financially sound and kind of collaborating with these builders, getting your getting your freaking wings, man? How how yeah. did that go? Were you behind on payments? Were you making payments? Like what would that look like? Yeah. I kept everything as, as trimmed down as I could. Um, 
but I did have, I started my company with a loan for 50 grand from my father. Okay. So that, that was all I had. Um, and it actually, he didn't hand me 50 grand. He just, as I needed five grand, if somebody didn't pay me, he would give it to me. And it ended up at 50 grand and he, he made me pay back every penny with interest. You know, he, um, he was good about that, teaching me the lessons and stuff. But yeah, it there was definitely times that I didn't get paid or I needed to hit that credit line for stuff. Fortunately, back then, fifty grand was enough to get it done. Yeah, it, it was terrible. I mean, it you know I was, I went from you know I had my own home in two thousand ten when I went on my own. I had just lost my home because my um, income had been reduced so much working for that other guy. Like I said, he was starting to make cuts. And uh, so I was living in an apartment. My only vehicle was my work truck. It was crazy. So just trying to stay trim. As a subcontractor, though, were, were you seeing, I know that it went from a good net 30 to a net 60, and then people push off payment. We're, we're seeing it now a little Up bit as well. 120 sometimes. Yeah, people are yeah. pushing out payment as far as they can because they're having they're having trouble with money. Was yeah. Was that something you were dealing with back then as well? Definitely. And even worse, when I was... You, you take what you can get when you're a smaller company. And, and Absolutely. I, I had to connect with some guys who were not good for the money and, and you, you become a creditor as a subcontractor. Yeah. You know, you're, you're a bank sometimes more so than anything. hundred percent. And I had, I had some guys go out of business. So right out of the gate, oh, first, shit. yeah, right out of the gate. Uh, maybe it wasn't the first year, but definitely by the second year, I had a company go under that owed me. I think it was uh, the first hit was like 35 K which mm-hmm. that was and 500. This was K. a exactly. GC builder, Justin. Yeah, it was so okay. they're out here. It's the pool GCs, the pool contractors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. you primarily mostly work with builders, right? Builders yeah. GCs. Yeah. Okay, I figured right. so. You, you know what though, Justin? I, I think you can agree with this. But we, we had a similar incident where, um, we needed work in the beginning. We found people. We're like, this is amazing. We got these connections, and shit, it was the worst thing we could have done. But looking back, I wouldn't change it. Because mm-hmm. the experiences that we had with these people really shaped us as a company and helped us learn like, hey, these are the people you want to stay away from. These are the people you want to work with. And without that, I don't think you ever really learn. You're right. It's it's 100% mistakes are what teaches us. Yeah. So yeah, same there's some, there's some beauty in those obstacles. Mm-hmm. If, if any of you are going through the fire, just read the uh, Obstacles the Way by Ryan Holiday. I don't know if any of you guys have heard about this book, but man, I haven't. Tough times. The only thing yeah. I've learned so far is that mistakes are very costly, but they teach us a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we got a preacher on the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> Just lost what, enough. What's that? Uh, the school of hard knocks. I didn't pay for college, but I paid my way through the school of hard knocks. Or Absolutely. Whatever. Yeah. That that's where the real le- lessons are learned. Yeah, that's right. Um, Justin, when when we were chatting on the phone uh, a couple months ago, one of the things that you uh, mentioned, I think a lot of people can resonate with this is, uh, it sounds like you struggled a lot going in and out of working in the field. Uh, you're trying to manage all your, your crews in the field and make sure things are tight. And like you mentioned, you're a little bit OCD. So I can imagine yeah. that this was maybe a little bit of a, of a painful process to you to bounce between field and maybe office or process side or making sure that, you know, builders are happy and you're getting paid. There's a lot, yeah. of, there's a lot to handle there. Sure. Um, how did you, well, first start on like what that transition was like for you, obviously mm-hmm. probably wasn't a quick one by any means. And maybe right. today you're still kind of dabbling in the field because it keeps you sane. Uh, but what was the 
transition like for you to like actually start building out those processes? And maybe today, I'm sure you have a lot tighter systems, but how do you maintain that balance between working or managing the field, but managing and growing the business? Yeah. So I think, um, when you're a small business or at least my experience was when, you know, I was a small business. So you are the pinch hitter. You're like the extra player. And when jobs, when there's a big influx of work, you got to <laughs> put your boots on and go out and help. And unfortunately there's nobody to step in and put their boots on and do your office stuff. So you have to be ready to add eight hours a day in and still get done everything you need. It was crazy for me because, you know, I started at the bottom made it to the top at that other company. So I had done it once I had gone from the field to the office. And then I started all over again with my company. And then all along the way, like you said, there were many times where I had to go back into the field. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't foreign to me, that feeling. And I did it and I was happy to do it. But I would say the one thing I remember the most is when you have to help out your guys in the field, there's nobody to help you. So that work doesn't go anywhere. And sometimes it means you got to work 16 hours a day, or you got to work every single uh, weekend, every single day, and you just do what you can. And then slowly, as you find time, I would add in processes, um, mm -hmm. you know, like, okay, that happened last week, because my scheduling was shit, I didn't, you know, give enough time to this client or whatever. So I would try and build a process to avoid that problem but you're the one sucking up the slack until you have those processes in place to protect yourself. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I want, go for it, Matt. We're all going here. At, at what point did you hire people to work in an like, Are you still primarily in the office? Do you have people helping you now? Yeah, and obviously you guys are a lot bigger, but yeah. At what, at so, what point did that come? I would say the first person I hired was probably in my third year, I hired um, an accounting person because, you know, that was the most important thing was getting in front of the money, making yeah. sure that we had mm -hmm. cash flow. Um, but then, you know, we kind of reduced in size again, like the workload kind of started to shrink. So I had to get rid of that person. So it was kind of like a, a new iteration and then back to the other one. And then a new iteration again, I hired somebody again, probably a year after that. Um, that person's still with me today. And, and his role has changed multiple times. He helped me do invoicing and estimating. And then he actually ran my entire service department. And then now he's back in the office again. He's like one of my right-hand men. Mm -hmm. So I would say the third year or so is when I hired the first person. And then it was on and off as the company changed and as our needs changed all the way through until now. And it still changes. You know, the the guy that I just brought back from the service into my office is He's been in the office now for about six months. So it's constant adaption. <laughs> That's awesome. I, 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 yeah. I got to dig in here, Justin. There's a, there's a few things yeah. that are going to just run through my head and I would feel like we did a disservice if we didn't dig in here. Um, All right. Okay. The first thing that I want to touch on is um, if you were to go back and may maybe it's different, maybe it's not. If you were to go back and you were starting out, who would be like the first few hires that you would make? Would it be any different? Like who her were yeah who were the first few and would you change if you went back so yes the first few i hired were labor in the field helpers and then crew leaders that i could rely on and then it then immediately after that was that accounting person and i think i mean you can't control if you're going to have the money to support a position but i think 
that accounting person is as important as any guy doing the work in the field to stay in front of yeah, to stay in front of the money. And we have an accounting firm too, but it's different when you have that accounting person on staff that can do the job costing, you know, some like the company that I came from, that huge company did no job costing. His job costing was literally, did his account. Oh, I swear. It was crazy. We we tried to, we tried to put in contractor software. So we would have all these, uh, phone calls with people that were like, you know, I forget what they were, American contractor, all these other, uh, software companies and they would say okay like what functionality do you need do you have this do you have job costing and he in those in those zoom calls or whatever he'd be like we don't have job costing like what how do you not have job costing but yeah he was just making so much money he just had enough projects that no matter what he was good pushing on intuition man yeah he didn't know if he was losing money on the little ones and gaining on the big had no idea what the trends yeah it didn't matter so much gold in the historical job cost man yeah that's ridiculous that's that's where you get your edge it's crazy. So I rely heavily now on our job costing and stuff. And uh, so I think looking back, man, I think one of the most important hires, if I could change everything would have been to put all my chips in on like a really good accounting slash controller for my office. I think, I think that would have probably, if it took me four years to get to some certain point, I think I could have got there faster. How would you handle that conversation if if someone came to you for advice and like, all right, Justin, like I heard the podcast, you kind of recommended like looking into a controller or someone that just knows the numbers. Right. But we got projects lined up and I need to put guys in the field to do the work. Like I, I can't afford to bring someone in like that. Like how would yeah. you handle that conversation for them? And maybe you I, thought the same thing too when you were starting out. It's Sounds hard. Like it. It's hard to devote money when you don't have a bunch of it towards somebody that doesn't have you know, for every dollar I pay that person, they're going to return to me $2. And and a accounting person or a controller, it's hard to see that until years later when you realize they caught all of these things and they built these processes that make you more profitable in the end. So it's totally, I mean, talking to somebody, it would be tough because they're going to have a hard time with that too, just like I did. But I think you have to tell them as, as hard as it is to devote this money to this person, it's look at all the successful companies. They all have they all have great controllers, great accounting people. It's as important as the work in terms of the health of the business. You know, Justin, I have a old family friend. Um, his dates back to like my grandfather. They were they were partnered back in the eighties. Uh, my grandfather would frame for him, but it was two brothers. One of them was amazing with keeping track of things, numbers, all this stuff. But he didn't work in the field, and the other brother was heavily in the field, loved it, built all sorts of things. They never saw value in each other because one thought, okay, you're just, you're doing labor. That's replaceable. The other one thought you're just doing paperwork. They ended up splitting and going their separate ways, but it, it's been something that I've thought about for, for years since I've been in this, because a lot of what I do is on the back end, and it doesn't get appreciated as much as like the guys out in the field building something. Cause you can see that. And I'm, I'm sure it felt the same way. Like when you were originally hiring that person, like you don't see anything they're doing they're not giving you a paycheck. But in the end, what they're doing is huge. It's a hundred percent true, hundred percent. It's it's uh, it's not a glorious position, you know. We sometimes put the guys doing the work up on a pedestal, like they're the most important. But it takes a it takes a team. Absolutely, yeah, you, you have to have that mutual respect too, because it goes both ways. Oh, it like does. If you don't have the output, one numbers don't look too great. And I mean, I, I think it's all about just a communicating the appreciation for both sides. And I think mm-hmm. what 
really needs to improve in the industry is the the respect on both is the the field and the office. There's such a clash there. Yeah, I know. And it's like you know, oh, the they field hate guys each would other. just yeah, if the field guys would just you know appreciate like okay, if the company can do great job costing, it means that we're gonna know where our numbers are. The bank account is gonna be filled, and that means pipeline of work, and that means like. Yeah. My we job doesn't feel job. like it's at Jeopardy. <laughs> like, yeah, there's always a downstream effect, and we can say the same thing on the other side as well. Yeah. Um. You you you'd mentioned uh, I I got to ding in here a little bit. This was going to be the second thing. Um. You know, you'd mentioned cash flow. This mm-hmm. is like, I don't know the the uh, I don't know. It's like the boogeyman. I hate it for yeah. subcontractors, right? Yeah. yeah. Like. Obviously, you you said you've learned by trial by fire. So mm-hmm. I mean, like you probably didn't have cash flow figured out once you stepped onto the court. But right. it seems like you know you'd mentioned job costs and cash flow. Like you got a grip on this. How have you been able to get a better handle on this? Because I talked to a lot of subs, and this is one thing that probably keeps all of them up at night. Absolutely. Yeah. So I haven't resolved the issue one hundred percent. But one thing that I did you know, about halfway through having J max is I went, um, are you familiar when you work with a general contractor, they'll give you like a subcontractor trade agreement or whatever. And it's basically like their terms. So I create, I created my own terms. That was basically like a sub. (laughs) Okay. Here's my counter. (laughs) Yeah. Here's my counter, but I would get it to them right away up front. And, Mm. And it was very abbreviated, but it talked about, there's a couple of things that always bothered me in business. One is, um, this doesn't relate to money. I don't know if you guys come have this issue, but I can't stand when I train guys and I send them out to a project and a general contractor will grab them and make them do something that isn't how I approve doing it. Yep. God, that, that happens to us all the time. And then, you know what? You get a call three months later and they're like, hey, this is messed up. Yeah, and it's, we, it's this isn't this. done correctly. It's like, okay. Yeah. Drives me crazy. So that was one of the things that was in there. And then also like the payment terms. And it just very politely said, hey, look, these are my terms. And if you can't, of go by these terms like don't don't start a relationship with us politely fuck off yeah politely fuck <laughs> off. so um best you know, justin <laughs> yeah for some reason you know when that is like brought up because a lot of times you're so happy to be there that you don't want to put any pressure on that general contractor or make him feel uncomfortable but if you just get that in front of them and they read it and then they understand that you're at least planned out and thought about it. And that, that seemed to work. I still get screwed all the time. I'm getting screwed right now for hundred K by a guy. You can't always protect yourself hundred percent, but that helped a lot. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It's just, it's typically top down on contracts. I, I don't really hear many going bottoms up and probably if you get that contract in front of them too, that gives you a little bit more leverage to negotiate. Yeah. I got a buddy who, um, worked for a huge general contractor out here and now he he's in the insurance space now and he's a good friend of mine. And he said, you know, having come from that big journal commercial space, he said, um, let's see if I can get his quote right. Something to the effect of every general contractor would be happy if at the end of the project, all their subcontractors were dead in a ditch and broke. And he said, that's like how, that's how their mentality is. Like if they can. That's the most fucked up thing, but that's true. It is true. It's true. And he, and he saw that from that side and now he's on the insurance Mm -hmm. space for us, like defending us. So yeah. And having your uh, corner. That was a big shift for us as well, too, because a lot of what we did before was subcontracted. And then we kind of stepped into a space where we're taking projects turnkey. And I understand exactly what it feels like to get ran in circles by these people. Like I, you're you're talking about money getting held. I had a a project where it was done, built, stuccoed everything. And we did the framing like we're fucking months past this. 
and they refused to pay. We called them up. What, what's going on? What's going on? It's in the mail. It's in the mail. I'm like, is the mail at your office still? <laughs> I, I drove an hour and a half and waited out front of their building and finally got paid. And it's like, you know wow. what? This is, it's disgusting. It we sucks. did we did the work. It's completed. I know it's on a bank loan. You can pay for this, but they they prefer to have the cash in their own pocket and not pay. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. They want their cash flow. It, it just just out of curiosity, have you um, figured out what terms work best for your business, or is it on a per project basis? Or I mean, how do you we think have, about it? You know, my cash reserve likes net thirty. Um, mm-hmm. So anything over yeah. that, like you said, 90 and 120 though, is not uncommon. It's too these long, days. man. Yeah. It, I know, which is fucking crazy. And it's like you said, it's happening right now again, because everybody's trying to hold onto that money because they're uncertain yep. of what's going to happen. Um, but 30 days to me is, I feel like any subcontractor, I pay my labor every week and I pay my material every 30 days and I can't not do that because I won't be in business. Well, so that's the you, issue with material is that that freaking thing rolls over. You get interest charged on every single one of them. You have that's to right. pay it. That's right. Yeah. And we have special pricing arrangements based on us paying within 30 days. So we do as yeah. Well. yeah, we're in the same boat, man. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. So yeah, when people don't pay you in 30, you just your bank account, you're, you're you are the bank. It's terrible. Yeah. But a reality. So. So since we're on that topic of, let's just say good, bad and ugly builders, mm-hmm. aka the ones that don't pay and the ones that do, like, how yeah. do you how do you navigate those? rough situations with builders and like are there certain things that you look out for so you're like all right red flag not going to get involved with this fucking situation again yeah how how do you navigate that um two things i'm always weary of a guy that calls and he's ready to give you all of his business that usually means he's got another subcontractor that he owes a bunch of money to that won't do any work for him so whenever i get that phone call and this guy's like all of a sudden he's like yeah man i've got 30 of these projects and you know come in here and clean it up i'm always like well who who did your plumbing before oh just this guy and he's retiring or whatever and i'm like all right i'm always weary of those situations for sure and then um i guess we're a small industry so kind of you kind of know everybody but if i start working for somebody and like like you said um when they're like, oh, the check's in the mail or let me get paid from this customer first and then I'll pay you. I start cutting them off. One of the most important lessons I learned, because I've been burned a half a dozen times for big money, is they always put you in that position where they're like, I can't, if you don't do work for me, I can't collect. So I can't pay you. Yep. Just got to get to this phase before I can pull. Just stop. I've never had one of those situations where it ended up that they would pay me back less than if I would have just stopped when, when I said, I'll keep going, you know, like I have one right now who we got to 40 grand and he wasn't paying me. He's like, dude, just help me get this next project done and I can get you all caught up. And I'm like, absolutely not. I would rather eat this 40 grand than eat 80 grand. There's no way I just won't yeah. do it. No, that, that, that's a tough one. And that, that's always the thing too, is we got to get to this phase before we could build. We, we have to have all plumbing done before we can, we can right. get this next bank draw. Right. And it, no, yeah, it's, it's tough. That's a struggle. You know, it, it's something that I think a lot of people, you obviously had this experience coming into it. You worked with the other company, you got to see the ins and outs um, in the field, in the office, but a lot of people start in business and they think that the hardest thing is going to be, you know, either finding the work or completing the work. And I've told our guys forever that that's the easy part dealing yes. with people getting paid. Like the back end sucks. Yeah. The politics and you got to, kiss babies, shake hands. It's uh, it's a yep. lot. 
So let, let's shift gears a little bit and learn more about the business side of your stuff. Um, sure. Your business strategy is always evolving and it's important to be able to adapt to different changes in the industry. Um, can you talk about a time when your strategy needed to change and kind of how you motivated your team to make those adjustments? So the biggest strategy change for us is whenever the market softens. So when you're in demand and there's a ton of work, you can name your price, you can be relaxed on your schedule, you can fit them in when it makes sense and it's most efficient for you. And that strategy has to change a lot when it slows down because now you're competitive. You have to get competitive on price again. You can't mm -hmm. say no, you got to take the shit jobs and you have to follow their schedule. So that's happening right now again, because the market's softening a little bit. Um, so that's the biggest like strategy change we have in business that occurs with the ebbs and flows of the economy. Um, I don't know about you guys, but that's, it's always like a wake up call when that happens. No, it, it, we've, we've kind of seen it coming for a while now. Mm -hmm. And everybody was preparing for it. I mean, there's not really shit you can do to prepare for it. Just know that it's going to happen. Right. But we're we're kind of seeing the same thing right now. It's like, well, we don't want to build this, but we might have to build this. Yeah. And if it keeps everybody busy, it it kind of is what it is. Um, yeah. I don't know what else you do. There's there's not much you could do to prepare. Yeah, we start taking projects out of our normal work. We used to do a lot of work out of state, you know, when I was coming up and uh, we've recently, we've started bidding stuff that's out of our home territory again. So yeah. You just got to do it. You got to keep the pipe full for the guys. And So I'm, I'm curious, what did the last couple of years look like for you? It was just booming? It was amazing. But for us, it was amazing because it's, you have two stresses in business. It seems like they're like polar opposites. You're either too stressed because there's so much work or you're too yep. stressed because there's no work. I like better the two stress when there's too much work. Yeah. Um, so that's what the last couple of years have been. We've done, we did more revenue, but less profit, unfortunately, because we couldn't get ahead of the, ahead of the material costs. And we would price protect our customers because we want to sleep at night. And my suppliers wouldn't do that. They is, you know, the truck, the truck could be delivering material and it could be halfway to town and they changed the price on us and there was nothing we could do about it. So profitability wasn't great. Um, but you know, it was nice being really busy. The guys were really busy. They were demanding more money. That part kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they got crazy, crazy uh, expectations of what they should get paid for stuff. Oh, dude, that, that's happening everywhere right now. It's like you're you're not a forty five dollar an hour guy yet. You're you're two years into this. Yeah. So you know, I, not to derail us completely, and that's probably a poor choice of words. Um, <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, no, that, that's kind of where I'm, I'm jumping into because I, I know mm -hmm. that you're talking about the cost already. Um, didn't that train have a bunch of stuff that made PVC? Yeah, I hope nobody hears this, but yeah, yeah, it did. But you know what there, it's already so that industry is already such a joke. You know, resin prices have been coming down since December and we've seen no decrease. Really? So, yeah. So whether material burns or whether it goes on sale, I feel like they just find a way to incrementally raise our price all the time. So and just get us to be okay. That's kind of what we've talked about with wood for the longest time is like, we went sky high, we came back down. Insane. Same. It's the same price per thousand board feet and the freaking materials three times as high. Like, yeah. is this just priming us for what we should be paying? Yeah, no, we, we, we won't yeah. go too crazy off there. I just wanted to ask <laughs> about that one. We just go off the deep end. Um, we, just, uh, I, dude, 
Go for so it. I was going to say one thing just so you can get an idea of how crazy it got for us. So our most common size pipes, two inch. So we were paying uh 49 cents a foot for two inch. That was okay. like normal by the height. We were paying a dollar 90 a foot. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. And we're doing, you know, we're doing thousands of feet a day. So, I mean, do the math. It was freaking crazy. Did you have to shift projects at that time? Cause I'm, you mentioned, you know, you're doing some production pools and then obviously you have a segment that is very affluent clientele mm-hmm. right uh like how, how did that shift when you when material spikes were like triple yeah more than those triple? guys didn't they didn't flinch you know because no they, not at all they already yeah. had the money yeah and i'm sure their businesses were quadrupling from all the activity <laughs> so <laughs> they're yeah. like we actually are the supplier <laughs> yeah 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 actually <laughs> sold you that yeah. every pipe yeah. you buy why don't you I go just... with these guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um yeah it didn't it was no effect everybody was so had such a big appetite they were just let it go yeah. man didn't didn't care whatever it costs we're we're gonna get into that a little bit later as far as like your ideal builder client that you're working with but um i know a couple pool builders in the area um just california is freaking huge so when i say the area they're all over um sure. it's a very high pressure job um and it's not uncommon for i mean builders in in your niche or others to become unmotivated or start to slip over time. What do you do to like revive your team and get back on trap? And then how do you motivate them when you don't feel your best either? Yeah, I kind of try and identify the guys that might be struggling with motivation. If it's guys in the field, I'll try and get them excited about projects. You know, like sometimes everybody relaxes and you realize you've been putting them on all the shit projects for a while. So you'll try and give them some of the better stuff and kind of, kind of reactivate their happiness. Um, that's, you know, the guys in the field, I just try and get them excited about the projects and about the company. And and sometimes just going out there and being with the guys is enough to like make them feel better and, and bridge them to the next, you know, year or so. So just trying to stay active with them and put them on projects that make them happy. Make them. You, got, you have a pretty close, close relationship with everybody working for you. Yeah. Not as much as I used to, because, you know, there's turnover and a lot of the guys that I came up with have retired, but yeah, I mean, I think they all respect me and I respect them. And if I go out there, I think they appreciate it for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, to, to agree with you there, I had this moment, I was, I was 17 and I was just learning what I was doing. And I remember I was working for somebody else at the time, but the owner came up to me and he he didn't work a whole lot. And if he did, it wasn't with like the laborers. Ugh. And I remember he came up and he's like, Hey, it was a 35s is hardware that we install. And he's like, here's how you install it. You want to nail here. This is the goal. This is what it does. This is why we do it. And I remember that day I was fucking pumped. I'm like, this is great. Like this dude appreciates me. He's shown me this stuff. Like, yeah, it's the littlest things. It doesn't have to be a, here's a big bonus or anything like it. Just showing any sort of effort is huge. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, Justin, how, how often do you find yourself uh, still interacting in the field? Because it, it obviously sounds like leading by example helps instill the standards, especially yeah. in the, the the field guys. How how often are you doing those types of things? I'm mostly back out in the field when the projects are complicated. So if we don't have a ton of stuff going on that's complicated, I'm not out there much. I'm in the office working on bettering you know our back end. Um, the production stuff... I get involved. I have a general manager who oversees all the crews. And then we have a field manager who, who's actually, you know, a Spanish speaker that's out in the field with those guys too. So I get involved with them when there's problems, when we're changing like uh, standards, if, 
you know, we're doing something and we're going to change the way we do it. I get involved with those guys then. So in the, in the production stuff, which are, is those cases mostly where we're making changes to SOPs. So I don't really go out in the field, but on the big stuff, whenever there's complicated stuff and it seems like it hits two or three at a time, I'm heavy in the field last yeah. year. I don't know if it was last year or the year before I actually plumbed some projects myself because they were so complicated and it, it was a strain relief on the field. So I'm, I do what I got to do as it's appropriate and it's just depends on yeah. what comes in. So you're, no, you're basically stepping in when there's value and then you get out of the way when your crews exactly. need to run. And I think that's probably where the respect is built. Cause I, I, I remembered, I, I posted a little while ago um, on Instagram and LinkedIn. And I asked people, um, cause there's kind of this video that was going around and I had asked a question. Somebody had mentioned, um, the field guy or the foreman mentioned to the owner, the guys are losing respect for you because you're working in the field and not working on the, the back end side of the business. Really? But it was like this whole kind of like, and I posted it cause it, it, I didn't really have an opinion on it. Like my, my dad worked in the field as a drywall contractor. And so like, he was never just operating back in the office. If anything, he was always out in the field. And so I was just kind of curious to ask you, like, it seems like with your crew, a lot of the respect is built by you actually getting your hands dirty. Before we go just... too crazy into that, Breck, was that a landscaper that you're talking about? Yeah, you saw that video, right? Yeah, that guy, that guy, I'm, I'm not down. I don't ever down talk people, but that guy craves engagement. Mm. Just putting that out sure. there. But but it was actually a, a real topic because there's no, a it, lot of owners that feel the pressure of, I need to take my bags off so that I can actually grow this business. But then yeah. all the respect is built when you actually get your hands dirty. It's, so it's definitely like this, like, a real topic. Evil. But yeah, no, but there, I, there, I hear you, Matt. There there is a level of respect that is gained though when you, the the biggest thing is you don't want to see somebody coming out and they're their brand new car and they, they come out, look at the job for two seconds and then just bounce. Like when yeah. you're Architect. out there, wait, exactly. <laughs> Every engineer I've ever hired. But when you, when you show up and one, I think I had a friend that came out here in California and his biggest struggle was the fact that he was hiring people, but he didn't know the trade. He got no respect from anybody because he had people doing the work, but he shows up and he's wondering yeah. himself, like, is this shit done right? Justin, right. you know this stuff inside and out. When you show up, people know, mm -hmm. hey, I can rely on his opinion. He knows exactly what the hell we're doing. Yeah. So I think, Breck, I get what you're saying about the whole level of respect thing. But I think if you know what you're doing and you're not afraid to get your freaking your hands in there, you're you're good. thousand yeah. percent, man. Yeah, I think a lot of the respect I got was coming up in the field from the bottom. And those guys, everybody knew that. Absolutely. That gained me mm -hmm. a lot. Yeah, no silver spoon. Yeah, that's right. So you just mentioned that you have, I know you have some crazy fucking projects, but yeah, you you have some of these projects that I don't even understand how you guys begin. You mentioned that you have a high turnover, not a high turnover, but you do have some turnover. Mm -hmm. What are the strategies you're using to get the guys that you have working for you to do the same quality of work? Because this is something I've struggled with as well. So yeah. So I, there's a couple strategies we use to keep the quality where we want it. One is, and it's specific to piece rate businesses. We're a piece rate business, mostly piece rate, meaning Are you, guys, really, yeah, it's just, and that's just always been a standard in pool plumbing. It's the mm -hmm. only way you probably know your profitability on projects as well. It helps. It helps control your profitability because if it takes an extra day, it doesn't come out of you or, you know, yeah. you don't have to balance. 
Um, so an advantage of piece rate, it, the guys can make great money if they don't make mistakes, but if they do make a mistake, the piece rate doesn't cover them to go back and do the repair. Yeah. So sending guys back to do repairs, that's huge with piece rate. Cause they don't want to make mistakes cause it's on their time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's one way. The other thing I try and do is I try and get everybody excited a lot about social media. When I started, it was getting guys excited about doing cool projects and I have some guys, if you follow me, you'll see, we, we actually made them Instagram handles like J Max Diego, J Max Caesar. That. Oh, I love That's that. Awesome. Yeah. Those are some of the, like my right-hand guys that, you know, they're, they're like, they're just as excited about the stuff as I am. Not everybody I have working for me is, is as excited as I am, but those guys are a good example of dudes that'll go out there and do, and they will, they ask questions and stuff um, like, you know, is, should I do it like this? Is this better or whatever? So I think, getting guys excited about it, whether it's through Instagram or giving them their own J max handles or just telling them about projects that are coming. Um, I remember when everybody it's a little different now because there's so much work, but back when the work was a little thinner, you'd be like, Hey, I've got this great project coming, uh, Tony and Tony, when it hits, it's going to you, man. Are you stoked? Let's get this done. And then like there kind of pump, pumping them up. So stuff like that. Yeah. Now you got people that are proud to, to showcase what they're doing and i mean i've 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 seen it a lot people post i'm I'm friends with a lot of like carpenters different trades people on like facebook personal facebook and they're they're sharing with their families like the projects that they're building and stuff they're they're really proud of what they're doing yeah so like like you're saying giving them their own handle and kind of letting them showcase some stuff if they care enough to post what they're doing they care enough to do the best damn work they can do yeah that's right it's 100 percent right and they feel like a part of the company too you know they don't feel like you're you're putting their work out on your Instagram and then not mm-hmm. giving credit where credit's due. That yeah. is so key, man. I, I was talking to uh uh this guy the other day. He he's I mean 19 years old, VP at this uh paving uh construction company. And damn they've been in the industry for 75 years, fifth generation. <laughs> like you don't hear that very often. Anyways, the one thing that he mentioned is he's going out. And uh, he he handles a lot of the back office stuff, but he did work in the field and and help. But one thing that he'll do just because he likes doing it is going out and taking photos of the the crew and giving them recognition and everything. And we spent, you know, a few minutes on this topic, but I was like, if only people recognize their people more, I think we'd have overall just a way better industry because a lot of guys in the space and gals, like when they're working in the field, they just feel like they're a number that's supposed to just produce work and sure there is some truth to that but like if we're all in it together in the trenches and recognizing each other it feels a lot better when you're doing the hard work right and so like just like what you said justin sure like don't just take all the credit when these guys are just sweating their ass off like Mm -hmm. show some credit and then you know like what you're doing with the handles and everything through social media is you're giving them a sense of responsibility and kind of almost like equity in the business to keep it going. That's right. And I think that's probably helped you guys tremendously. And now you guys, I'm sure you, those guys are going to be with you for a while. I hope so. Yeah. We're going to keep pushing too. And that's something kind of new, I guess, six months ago, we gave them those handles. So hoping that that picks up and the other guys want them too. And no, that they probably, they feel like they're with, they're, they're doing something bigger than just themselves. Yeah. I know it's nice to feel included. We just, we had a new hire recently, the kid's 20 years old and he's hungry, but day like three, he came up to us and we, we always have hats, shirts getting made and stuff. And it, it takes a bit. He came up and he's like, how, how can I buy a hat? 
I'm like, brother, you don't got to buy a hat. You're with us. Like you're, you're fine. <laughs> yeah. But like, he wants to feel included. He wants to be part of it. Cause it makes him feel, makes him feel good about it. So that's, that's cool. Um, Justin, last time we chatted on the phone, we were talking a little bit about retraining, mm-hmm. not just training. Um, how often do you go through those moments of training and retraining with your team? And then I'm also kind of curious, like, how do you maintain a growth minded culture? Cause just construction is notorious for if we're doing it this way, this is always how we've done it. Like why change it? Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm very interested to, to learn about. Because when I hear retraining, it's like, all right, this guy has obviously been through some cycles of evolution. Right. Like, dive into that. Yeah. So I guess the training, it hasn't been perfect. And, you know, earlier you asked me, who's like the one person that I would hire and, you know, first going into business. Yeah. And I th- if you would have asked me, like, what is the one thing you should have done a lot earlier in business? It would have been formal training. Um, mm, we're We're building. Yeah, it's it's so important that I've learned because it's a lot harder to retrain somebody than it is to train them the first time. So we're building an academy right now, which is basically like a formal version of the training that we do now. A lot of the training we do now is toolbox talks. Um, we give examples. We'll, we'll highlight projects that we've finished and we'll take pictures during the process of how it was done. And we hand those out on Fridays, kind of like memos. And we talk to each guy and we say, Hey, look, this is a new standard operating procedure. When you do this, do it this way. So it's, it's almost like little incremental training, Mm. but this Academy that we're building, will be formal, like, you know, start to finish like levels. So that Mm -hmm. was something I I thought would help, especially now. I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit today, but you know, with the next generations that are coming in, these guys, you know, they need more than just the skills. They need to understand how to hold employment and how to be responsible and all these other things. So the academy is going to take care of that let's talk about it now because we're going to move into some of the project stuff here in a second and we're kind of near the tail end before we can go into our fast five stuff um but academy i mean i I know a decent amount about you i I don't yeah remember you bringing this up on our phone call but one is this academy is this all internally for j max and this from what i'm hearing it's kind of like these micro learning sessions where incrementally they learn not only about the business and skills, but it seems like also some personal development. Is that what I'm hearing? Sure. Yeah. It's a lot of skills that I wish that I would have had somebody teach me along the way that it would have, mm-hmm. it would have been a lot less painful, but yeah, it's like a four-step program. And I built it for myself because I wanted to have it written down and I wanted to have a specific program to train my guys, depending on where they come in. Level one being somebody that knows nothing, level two, a helper, level three, a crew leader, and then level four is a mechanic, which he can do everything. So depending on where the person would drop in with us, if they started employment and they were at the helper level, they could start right at two and they could, you know, progress. It also gives those guys, um, you know, right now, they just ask one day, like, Hey, can I learn to be a crew leader? There's no like formal, like, all right, we're going to train you at this point. Once you learn all this, you're going to go to the next step, the next step. So this will help us move guys through like at a calculated pace and they will know all the things that we need them to know, which is better than what we're doing right now. So, um, but yeah, the Academy touches on stuff. The reason you probably haven't heard about it, we don't uh, promote it much right now because we're so far behind. It's it, what I'm learning is it takes a tremendous amount of freaking time and setup just to try and get it right. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're trying to do a good mix of field and um, de- demonstration stuff, but 
but yeah, it, it's basically stuff, everything from managing heat stress and um, how to secure material on the truck and how to um, manage your your crews. We have a lot of guys that suck at managing guys and you got to have helpers and they're just shitty at taking care of the guys that help them be productive. So it's everything. It's not just the technical mm-hmm. part, how to stick pipe together. It's yeah. how, to, how to be a productive crew leader or a productive employee or whatever you want to call it. Sounds like life and like career lessons. It's almost yeah. like it's almost like working for your dad, right, or your uncle, except yeah. you're not getting yelled <laughs> yeah. at. <laughs> yeah, there we except go. You're not getting. Like, I love it. You're not going to get obliterated if you make a mistake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holding hold no, the flashlight under th- the hood. Th- <laughs> Matt, this kind of reminds me of uh, uh, two episodes ago when we were talking to uh, Keith at KNL Industries. Yeah. On how they kind of have, I don't know if you'd call it an academy, Justin, but they they have like a similar training program where. They teach these guys not only like field stuff, because obviously that's the prerequisite to even get hired and work with them, sure. but they talk them like take them through like money lessons and teach them yeah. about like benefit structure. So they understand that world of what? like how they're taking care of them. So it's just kind of cool where it's not only just the, the scale of like putting a shovel in their hand, it's like the people skill, how to interact with like clients, how to be respectful to clients. And then also Keith like was the saying they're, they're even, they're even taking people through doing their taxes, understanding like how to yeah. prepare for buying a house. And it's like, that's pretty cool. There's, there's so many people like Justin, I love hearing that you're doing this because most people it's just, you're, you're a number in this company and that's it. And yeah. you're replaceable. And it's, it's a constant, they're, they're playing defense, man. They're not playing offense, like help these people. Yeah. Your your goal as a, a business owner and a, as an employer should be like, hey, I'd I'd love to see these people buying homes, preparing yeah. for their future, planning ahead. Like that's a win right there. And yeah. if you can appeal to their interests as well, then they realize you're in it with them and they want to work for you longer. Yeah. yeah. That, that's the key to the game is like work on their motivations. Sure, you're gonna have your own and you want them to work with you and stay for a long time and not turn over, but the more that you play to their emotions and their motivations, like the longer they're going to stick around. And that, so, that's one but, of the, the big problems we're seeing right now is people bitching about loyalty. There's no loyalty. Like you haven't done fuck for them. You've just given them a paycheck. <laughs> like if you think that that is enough for somebody to never go anywhere else, you're out of your damn mind. Yeah. It's not like it once was, man. You can't no, it's just, not. You can't just grab guys anymore. No, it, it's tough out there. Yeah. Well, Definitely. I love to hear that you're doing that. That is absolutely awesome i think a lot of people should follow in your footsteps um we're going to kind of transition back into like the projects we've talked about business Mm -hmm. obviously you're training now but i've seen you guys build some really cool stuff can you can you tell me about like either a a favorite project or something unique and then also you've been in this industry for two decades now plus how has the industry changed as far as the work you're doing is it is it a big shift Definitely. When I started, nobody was doing as much as they are in their backyards. Now it seems like it has become so important to people that their backyard is like a resort. You know, (laughs) I don't know if it's just where I'm at. I mean, I certainly follow other guys that are all over the place and it seems like it's, you know, internationally it's happening, but it's crazy. You know, the average backyard package would have been like 80 K, you know, 10 years ago or five years ago. And now like, it's not uncommon to see guys spending a quarter million in their backyard. So it's, it's crazy. Um, But to answer your question on some of my favorite projects, I mean, I'm going to start right away with the one that we're still working on because it's probably the coolest project that I've ever worked on. It's a guy um, it's this house that we're building and, and he's got, so he's got a lazy river, but not just a lazy river, a huge, lazy river, huge. Like I forget it how many feet exactly, but let's say it's 200 feet. And these pumps that run his lazy river 
we do we do occasionally lazy rivers and usually they'll have one or two pump stations they're like 20 grand a pump station this guy's got 10 pump stations on his lazy river so i mean you could probably kayak in this thing and there's that connects to a huge 15 foot deep pool which backs up to a shark tank. So the shark tank, the, the only thing separating you from the sharks is, is a piece of glass when you're in the deep end. And then through the other side of the shark tank is his basement, which has golf simulators and a gun range and a car elevator and everything you could ever imagine. Uh, and then you pass to the left a little bit and he's got huge grotto waterfalls that are 20 and 30 feet high. You go up to the other side, he's got a sunken fire pit. So you can go down to like the pool level and be in chilling around like a fire pit. Um, and then you, you go up, he's got, um, a, a flow rider, which is like one of those surf machines, you know, <laughs> they're like a million bucks a pop. So he's got one of those in the middle. Um, and then he's got a go-kart track that comes around and goes under the lazy river and wherever it's under the river, the floor is glass. So you can see down or up out of the, out of the go-kart track. Um, and then, he, he nixed this one feature, but one of the coolest features he had was he has bumper boats, like a little area that, that you could park the bumper boats and they come out on the lazy river. And he had a garage for the, for the bumper boats. So like his garage door would come down to the water and then you open it and all the boats come out. He, he oh nixed the little God. garage because he needed the space for something. But I thought that was the coolest shit ever. <laughs> What the fuck? I, I love yeah. how we're just all laughing because it's the most absurd thing ever. It's, it's so nuts. That doesn't even cover. He's got an indoor swim spa under like a huge glass atrium where the ceiling opens. I mean, it's nuts. It's this is the only Justin, guy in, only guy in Arizona that. God damn it, Breck. I was <laughs> just gonna. Only, go for it. I was just gonna say Justin's gonna like come out of left field and be like, "Oh, I was just talking about the guest house." Yeah, Lord. <laughs> Dude, some of those projects, the backyards look insane. Like it's oh, a straight man. resort. Like yeah. this guy's got oceanfront property in Arizona. He's the only person to have it. It's nuts. Where do you buy a shark? So <laughs> funny story on the shark. So that was my first experience. I I actually plumbed that shark to the life support for the shark tank myself. Me and one of my guys went and did it because it was so like new. <laughs> and the whole shark tank setup's crazy. So he, he almost nixed the sharks because it's basically a million dollars a year to life support them. Cause you got to have somebody feed them every day or else they cannibalize each other. So somebody has got to live there. And then in the basement where we put in all the plumbing for the shark tank stuff, there's a whole feeder tank assembly. I mean, there's a whole swimming pool underneath the house that just takes care of the fish that feed the sharks. So you got this huge, the room, the room just for his life support for his sharks is probably uh, 80 feet by 40 feet. It's a huge room. And, um, yeah, you got to feed them every day and he, his license that he had to get to own them, he buys them at three feet long and he has to sell them at six feet long. So, cause he can't with his permit own us one bigger than six feet. With this permit. Yeah. The, the right. short I, Justin, I have to ask, like when you were getting involved with this client and this project, how much did scope expand? Cause I mean, oh, it was crazy. Did, 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 were you like, all right, like, cool. Sharks well, we started like, well, with we the need hot this, like, tub. Life support thing. Then we need permits for sharks. We got to yeah. sell them at six feet. Like it sounded like, all right, here's the vision. And it was like, holy shit. There's like 38 check boxes just to do this one thing. Now it's, it's such a big project <laughs> that the plans are so big. It's like, even on like 48 inch plans, you can't even understand what's going on. You literally have to, my brain has to tackle it in pieces. It's is this in Scottsdale as well. It's in paradise Valley. Holy shit. Yeah. It is paradise. And the house, the house is nuts too. I mean, 
I would it's hope so. 84 yeah. bedrooms. Yeah. It's a little it's... three bedroom house with a shark tank. Yeah. I think we were there the other day and I think they said just, you know, most houses you'd be like, oh, they have eight bathrooms. That's crazy. He's got eight hidden rooms. So just rooms that aren't even on the floor plan. Like he's got eight of those. So like, it's freaking crazy. That's Imagine wild. going to the city. So we want to build a shark tank. Yeah. Like, dude, I can't are, imagine. Are, are you able to, to disclose the, uh, the value of the home? Um, I don't know if I can. If, we got we got in a if ton not, of trouble. No we got in a ton right. of trouble for posting it. Um, I I could probably say because I don't know the number for sure. Just give us give us a range. Twenty five mil for the house. Okay, around twenty five. All right. So he tore down. I think they tore down a five or six million dollar house to build it, and then the backyard is in the millions as well. So, oh my lord, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and I definitely get... can't. I definitely can't tell you anything about the owner, but. You sure. would be shocked to know what they did. It sounds like yeah. Jim Carrey with the way that they've got fucking bumper boats and a <laughs> yeah. bunch of other shit. <laughs> right. They're talking you to imagine that would be the most entertaining thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> None of this crazy. is real. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. I, I have a question for you. Yeah. When you were building, obviously you're building what? Kidney beans back in early 2000s to, I mean, you just plumbed a fucking shark tank. Did right, you right. ever think that this is where you'd be? Yeah. No, I definitely, it was, I was on the production and like coming up in the trades. It wasn't, no, it was never like, I didn't even know this stuff exists. Well, this stuff didn't exist back then, but no, I never could have imagined that that project that we're just finishing up right now would exist. I mean, that's, it's crazy, crazy. I, I, I got to ask, um, you know, we're going to touch on two things and then get into our, our fast five. Um, but how, how have you been able to like obviously that trajectory from kidney beans to shark tank. I mean, yeah, it's been a process. I love that. I love that little slogan for our podcast. Kidney beans to shark kidney tank. Kidney beans to shark tank. That, that actually might be a really good title. I think that's the name. We're, we're running with it. Um, people are like, what the hell does this mean? Um, perfect stuff. How, how have you been able to like grow your um, clientele and just like maintain or even build off of relationships? Cause you don't go from, Again, kidney beans to shark yeah. tanks overnight. So and then, how have you been able to do that? Before you get too crazy into this, the relationships that you mentioned that you had from the previous business, did any of those recirc and come back to life? Yeah. So starting starting with uh, Breck. So the so how did we get to that point? So I think you start you start by getting your foot in wherever you can. And then social media was super instrumental in like displaying mm. what we could do. And then some of the bigger builders would give us respect. So it's kind of like that live resume that would update. And then I think another thing that happened is there's there's guys who who have projects that are so out there. There's not a lot of people that can bring their vision to life. And we never said no. We always figured it out. So I think a lot of the traction we got at the end on the big custom stuff was because these guys were trying to do something that nobody had done and they needed somebody that would partner up with them and do what it took to, to get it done. So very much in the beginning was just doing whatever we could just to get our foot in the door. And then later it was becoming valuable to the guys who do high-end stuff. And that's what made us really success, successful in that space. Um, and how that, does, how sorry, does, I got to ask, how does work in the network differ from, you know, just doing everything you can to get in front of people. Obviously building relationships is a lot different at that stage. It's a lot yeah. more, um, you know, just, just the closing time. It's, it's a long sales cycle. Yeah. Um, 
well, I'm not sure if this answers the question, but back then it was different. And, you know, I used to put on a nice shirt and I would, I would make like a portfolio and I would hand deliver it to the places that I wanted to get their business. Mm. And that's, you know, that's way different in contrast to now, once you have a name, once you have a name, then you pretty much are using that as your nice shirt and your portfolio. That's your leverage into these companies. Yeah. Um, but, but back to your question, Matt, about those guys resurfacing. Yes. Some of those bastards came back and, uh, the guys that didn't give me a time of day and, uh, yeah, sometimes it was nice to tell them fuck off, but, uh, well, that was a good feeling. I'm sure you didn't want me when I just started out and needed you, but now you need me. Yeah. There was one recently who hit me up because he's got some project that's really out there and he's like, Hey, um, you know, I know we're not working together, but I'd really like to get you on this project. Can you bid it? And I gave that dude my biggest numbers. I was like, yeah, here you go, buddy. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> You'll end up getting it. Watch. Yeah. Right. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Justin, uh, before we close out two last things, um, what would be, you know, for the next generation, what would be the biggest piece of advice for someone looking to break into this space and you know you mentioned a couple things but if there's anything new like is there something that you would do differently yeah i think i think there's a whole new deck of cards for the guys that are coming into the industries now it's my opinion that the trades are getting kind of diluted you know we don't have as many guys doing it so i think guys that might be looking at the trades the first thing i'll say is absolutely do it you're going to be so valuable because there's not ever going to not be a need for plumbers electricians and all these guys so you guys have a huge advantage over when i came in or probably when you guys came in where we had to work a lot harder to get paid more these guys are going to get paid like doctors i mean they're already yeah. you know getting to that point so anybody considering it do it and then my second biggest thing I will say to this generation, it seems like they struggle with consistency and and they struggle with, they all want to paint a picture like, like they're, uh, like they're making a movie and just shut up and show up to work, like shut up, show up to work and, and do what you got to do every, you don't have to post on your Instagram every day. Like they said, I couldn't do it. So I'm going to do it. Like hustle shut up. hard. Yeah. Hustle hard. The stakes were against me. Shut up. The stakes aren't against you. You have the best opportunity ever. Just be consistent, be humble, show up and, and do what you got to do. And they're, they're going to kill it. They're going to absolutely kill it. Yeah, man. Sometimes you just need to disappear and show up. We had yeah. uh, our, our yeah. buildings on the podcast and we were asking for him about some advice. And he's like, honestly, you probably have a pretty good opportunity if you just like showed up to work Breathe. like that. <laughs> you, you pretty much that you're there. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. You got it figured out. If you can just do that, like you're going to end up finding yourself in a good position if you just keep doing it. Yeah. But before this next one, they say that we've got four people retiring per one coming in. I heard some crazy statistic like That's that too. Freaking terrifying. Yeah. I had some kid in touch with me recently. He's 19. He's like, is the trades good for me? I'm like, dude, you don't even understand that 10 years from now, you are going to be the most desirable person. There, there's so many shoes left unfilled. It's good and bad because for us, it's great. Oh, absolutely. You know? I mean, we can take care of our own houses. We don't need to rely on if we can find an electrician, but I feel bad for the regular homeowners. It's going to be nuts. They're going to be paying. Guys are going to come out with drains for a grand. It's going to be nuts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. No, I, I, I was talking to a guy the other day, and um, I agree with both of you. Uh, I mean, I've become a, a very big fan of saying um, the, the, the path to wealth is in the boring and unsexy stuff. It's true. Like the, the the example that I love is the the waste management guys. You think they woke up one day and you're like, I'm gonna. <laughs> build a company that picks up everybody's shit yep. and they're doing pretty well today i'd yeah. say yeah i wouldn't mind running that company they're taking they're, care of generations 
there's a saying that um, I used to think about a lot and it's uh, do the shit you don't want to do so you can do the shit you want to do. And that's the truth. You just wake up every day and do the shit. And then eventually you get to live your life how you want. Yeah. I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, even, even I've learned um, running and operating, growing businesses. And I think everybody has learned this is um, there's going to be times where you don't want to do that shit and you just have to. And it's, and I think that's where some people quit is when they're growing a business and operating, um, they give up because they feel this moment of, oh man, I don't really feel like doing this. I don't know if it's right for me. It's like, if you have the opportunity to love uh, what you do, like 30 or 20% of that work, like that's great. There's going to be moments in your career where 80, 90% of that work sucks. And you yeah. just got to do it to enjoy that other percent. And that's where it feels best. Yeah, well, um, what's wild is I've I've had a few of those moments myself over the years and a, a few of them have turned into like the biggest turning points where like I just I I went through a shitty phase and it's like everything doubled. It's like this this is exactly where I need to be. You realize it later on, but like that little thing that was like fuck this, we're over it is yeah. like just a, a catapult. Yeah. I've had those moments too. Justin, last question before the fast five. Yep. What's next for you in the business? What 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 are you most excited right now? What what gets you fired up? I think um, getting through this next recession and having all of the things that I learned through this last big push that we had from this all this COVID craziness. I think um, that's my next main focus. There's a lot of guys, my competitors that are phasing out, they're retiring. So getting a little bit more market share, getting a little bit more control over the trade. And really just freaking pushing the envelope, man, you know, making the best guys that do what we do, you know, putting them out through the academy and just absolutely crushing it. I love that, man. Keep investing in your people. Yeah. All right, brother. Before we wrap up our episodes, we end with our fast five. And I appreciate everybody that always makes it to these five questions because they're quite entertaining most of the time. Oh, uh, these are five questions to be answered in a sentence or less. The first one, what's the weirdest thing that you've ever found on a job site? Found uh, ladies' underwear in a skimmer. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Number two. I don't know if that's the weirdest, but that, yeah, that, that <laughs> was definitely out. an odd one. Yeah, <laughs> like, it was a thong. All right. It didn't fit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're funny, man. <laughs> Number two, <laughs> if you could use one tool for the rest of your life, what would it be? Hammer. Ooh, nice. Good choice. I like it. Yeah. Number three, what's the craziest request a client has ever made? Hmm. I had a lady, uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this. I had a lady offer to trade sex for a plumbing repair. Oh, you're absolutely allowed to say that. That's just <laughs> as part of the trades. Yeah. Yeah. I had that. I, I said no. Number four, if you could have a drink with any historical figure, and I think it would be a Moscow reel. Mule, Mule yeah. correct, John. Yep. Yeah. So, with any historical figure, who would it be? Hmm. Man, you, you got to say I'm a big American guy. I'd say George Washington for sure. Nice. I, th I think mine would be with uh, Michael Jordan because that was my childhood hero. That's good too. Uh, who number was the guy that had the apple tree. That was George Washington. I chopped it down. Is that who that was? Yeah. Johnny wooden, Appleseed? He had the wooden teeth. Oh, I think Johnny Appleseed's a different dude, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> Carry on. Yeah. Number, I, didn't, number five. I didn't take history. 
What's the best vacation you've ever taken? Easy one. Uh, Amangiri. It's a resort in Utah. Solid. All right. And then one additional one, since we asked this to every guest that's on the podcast, what does bread to build mean to you? Well, I think bread to build means that there's a whole generation of people coming up that are born to do what they do, man. And and you're highlighting the guys, hopefully, that are are doing the best for their industries. Well said, man. Justin, thanks so much for joining us on the Bread to Build podcast. Before we let you off the hook, where can people find and connect with you? So our Instagram handle is bearded uh, underscore plumber. You can also check us out on YouTube, JMax Plumbing. And our website, www.jmaxplumbing.com. You guys, thank you for listening to another episode. Check out the links that he mentioned. This has been, I, I believe we're close to 40 episodes of the Bread to Build podcast. If you would like to join us on the podcast or have topics that you would like us to cover, please send them via email at breadtobuildpodcast at gmail.com. If you liked what we're doing, please leave us a five-star review. Nothing less or we will not talk with you. If you'd like to follow me on social media, you can find me at all platforms at Matt Bangswood. Um, Breck, take it away. If you'd like to follow me on social, you can find me on all platforms at Breck Owen or at We Are Hammer. Guys, thanks so much for tuning in to another episode. We hope you enjoyed it. Drop us an awesome review. Give us a shout out if you learned something. Justin, thanks again. We'll see you guys next time on the Bread to Build podcast. <laughs>